0: You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap.
0: Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The
1: roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing.
0: Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How are you doing, Stanton? Very good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for uh, you know putting this together. It uh, it sounds like you have a busy uh, schedule. I didn't realize your musical background, so that's something I'm really interested in talking about today. I'm also your names come up a lot through a lot of my connections up in uh, in Canada in BC. Um, it seems like your name's probably the, the, probably the best, the top name I hear a lot, you know, but we're working with Togans. So we're going to give a shout out to Togans as well. Togans fly shop. But, um, yeah, I want to talk about how you got into fly tying, fly fishing, how you kind of got there to where you are. So, uh, but before we take it there, let, let, let's just, um, before we get into all everything kind of real detail, let's go high level fly fishing, fly tying. What's your first memory? First
1: memory of fly fishing, fly tying would be, well, I grew up in Kamloops, BC. That's in the interior of British Columbia, Canada. And there's lots of lakes. There's lakes within, you know, downtown Kamloops you can be at a lake in 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, I remember my older brother, Patrick, we'd go out and he'd be bombing, you know, dry lines from shore at one of the local lakes, uh, Jocko Lake. And I would be about five or six and stuff like that. And running down to the shoreline and Seeing these fish come in on leeches and stuff like that and just totally, uh, and those fish were huge back in the day when, you know, fish seemed huge when you're a kid and stuff like that. And, uh, that'd be my first introduction to, uh, to fly fishing. Then as I got older, you know, um, going out in the boat with, with my brother and with my grandfather and stuff. And, uh, my grandpa loved to troll. We'd do the local lakes, Heffley Lake and a couple of the local lakes. And we would just, you know, do the do the go kart laps around the lake, trolling leeches and, and other bugs and stuff, and you know, sometimes hardware. And so it just it was a part of growing up, um, especially growing up in in that part of uh, uh, Western Canada and in um, the Kamloops area. There were so many lakes and and quite a few rivers too. In the summers, we would uh, even as kids, we would you know a short drive and you're on the thompson river or north thompson adams river and stuff and we'd go up there and do the and do the same thing you know you'd have daylight till you know sometimes 10 10 30 at night and uh, in june and uh just hucking dry flies so that was you know and and looking back at it and the fishing was always so good you know you, you think of it now as an adult you're know, like you, know, you got all these flies you got all these different lines on all this you know uh, tactics and stuff. And back there, we had, you know, you had a floating line or, or a, or a type three, you know, belly sinking line. And, uh, and we always caught fish, you know. <laughs>
0: so why do you think that was? Do you think that was because of, uh, there was less people, more fish? Why, why was that? Or is that just how we remember it? Well,
1: you know, it's, it's how I remember it. But I actually do, I, you know, it, for sure it was a lot less pressure. I mean, you see in British Columbia now, especially when you, start going up into the Okanagan interior and uh, Northern British Columbia in the caribou region, every truck has a boat on it, right? Every truck has a boat on it. And uh, I mean, of course, you know, we had car toppers back in the day, but um, there's a lot more people fishing the lakes and stuff like that. And even on the rivers, uh, there's a lot more people fishing the rivers like used to be able to go down to the Thompson and start hucking dry flies and stuff. And now you can go down there and they'll be, you know, half a dozen cars park there in your, in the spot that you've been going to for the last, you know, 30 to 40 years. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely more pressure,
0: more pressure. Yeah. And you said, was it your grand grandfather that you fished with?
1: My brother and my grandfather, your grandfather were, yeah, my brother, Patrick, uh, was, you know, fishing way back in the eighties. And one of, one of the first kind of, Chronomid fishers out there that that we knew of, and uh, you know before it all became a huge you know chronomid fishing in British Columbia is like a it's like religion, right? You know, everybody does it, right? Yeah, uh, and it you know it is it's super effective and and stuff, but back then nobody was doing it with indicators and stuff, and he would you know cut the legs off and the wings off a flying ant pattern, and sink it down, and that was. You know, he was because he was seeing when you net a fish that they were spitting out these coronavids, he'd be like, What are these things? So he kind of did that and then he showed me that, then we started doing that, you know, and and uh and my grandfather he liked uh he loved doing the um doing the trolling as, as I mentioned before, and we'd see a lot of the lakes and a lot of the, you know, you kind of as a kid you'd see it like, okay, so we're coming up on this shoal. This is like a meat market, like a grocery market for the fish, right? And you kind of observe these things, and and uh, so it it um, at a young age it was really you know installed that that's that's how you catch fish, right?
0: That's how you do it. What's yeah. the um, when was the uh, the religion? When did Quranomids become kind of the you know when when was it everywhere? Do you remember that that time?
1: Well, yeah. So I was pretty young when that was all coming in like my brother's 10 years older than me and how old that, are you i was about well you know some between five and ten when we were going out doing this
0: okay and how old are you how old are you now i'm 40 how old am i now 47 now oh yeah 47 okay yeah we're, we're about the same age so good okay. okay good yeah and your older brother you said was 10 years older than you
1: 10 years older than I mean, my brother pat's 10 years older
0: okay and i have an older brother one that's about eight years old. So we got similar, similar, similar deal. stuff
1: okay. there, right? Yeah. Yep. But, uh, so th- how it used to always be done is they would huck out these, like, you know, a 16 foot leader on a dry line, right? And you would throw that out there and that would sink down and you would see the, the, you'd be just staring at this fly line and this little piece of mono. And if you saw that twitch, you would set the hook, right? Now they call it naked fishing, but that was, you know, early chronomid fishing, then they started, I don't know who started with the suspension tactics with putting on, you know, an indicator, AKA bobber, right. But they used to have those little wooden ones, those little, not the wooden ones, but the little cork ones that you put the toothpick in, right. I think they're called fill indicators. And that was kind of a game changer because then you could actually suspend it and watch that thing go down. Then later on it, um, you know, you had the quick release ones. I think Phil Rowley came up with the quick release indicators. Oh, yeah. And that's what everybody's using now, right? But that old, that was early 80s into kind of mid 80s. And then by, by the time we started doing those toothpick indicators, that was early 90s. And uh, and then it just it's just taken off from there.
0: Yeah. So somewhere in the early 90s, the chronomid, kind of that's when that kind of got going. Oh absolutely right it 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 you know, and then and because you know there's the
1: early pioneers and like Jack Shaw and stuff had these chronomid patterns and they're they're beautiful to look at too, right? You're like, wow, look at this thing gold ribbed and and everything like that, but uh, and now it's just extreme. I mean, like now there's every type of ribbing and and the right. p- that are coming out, I mean, like I'm sure. The pupa in the water are looking at this thing, like going, "Holy crow, look at this!"
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. How how much do you think when you you got the flies down there? How much do you think those fish are really is impacted by all the little minute changes in a fly? You know what I mean? Well, the, the, yeah. this
1: is the thing too, Dave. Like I remember the chronomids we would tie because we had a shop called Surplus Herbies in Kamloops. It was the early '90s, right? And you'd go in there.
0: So you had a, th- this was a local fly shop.
1: A local, well, it was like a, kind of like a local um, outdoors uh, store. It had everything, you know, it had a lot of military surplus items. Oh, sure, and, sure. And you'd go in there and they would have, uh, you know, they, we didn't have these nice curved nymph hooks and, and these nice beads and everything. I remember like all our chronomids were on these little straight mustad uh, nymph hooks uh, with a big gold bead. And you didn't care, you didn't, you weren't thinking about, you know, the size of the bead. And it sure, was, it wasn't tungsten, it was a big brass thing and uh for ribs we were using anything we could find i mean at one point we were taking apart uh, remote uh, control cars and taking the copper out of them and then just wrapping it there was no uv resin on it no sally hansen it was black thread copper red and a gold bead and you'd huck that thing out with that little toothpick indicator that fill toothpick indicator and and you would catch fish like So now when you're looking at everybody's like, oh, it has to have seven ribs and the perfect uh, taper. (laughs) I don't really think it needs to. I mean, you know, there's matching the hatch, but when the fish are on them, they're on them.
0: Trout Routes is the most comprehensive mapping app for trout anglers. With over 50,000 trout streams, 350,000 access points, public land maps, and more, Trout Routes is the number one resource for navigating, researching, and exploring trout streams. You can download Trout Routes for free in the App Store today. Just search for Trout Routes on your phone and take your exploration to the next level. That's Trout Routes. T-R-O-U-T-R-O-U-T-E-S. I mean, the history thing is cool for me because I have a little history. I mean, I've been going up there now because we got a connection with, uh, you know, Phil, Rolly, and um, Brian, you know, just through the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I've been up there fishing a little bit. But I remember when my dad, um, you know, had a fly shop way back when I was a kid, back in the '80s, and he used to talk about the camloops. And I used to see these photos. He'd come back, he'd be like, "All right, we're doing our camloops," and he never, I never, he never brought me up there. This is more like, you know, it was kind of the, however he did it, but and it was like, wow, the, the biggest fish in the on the planet. It seemed like we're up there these lakes. Um, what do you think? I mean, has that? It seems like maybe there's more pressure, but can you still go out there and find some of these places where there are giant? you know, fish that are out there in lakes all over the place. How how does that look when you, when you look at it
1: there? Well, you know, the thing is, I know in the Kamloops area, for sure the average size has gone down, right? Definitely back in the nineties, you could get to these lakes. They didn't see a lot of pressure. Um, I don't know if they've, I think there's been a bit of a trend putting more stock, um, stocking them with more fish.
0: Right. So if you go back to the day, like say back to the 80s, 70s, somewhere, probably there was a period where they weren't stocking as much. And it was literally just these fish that were growing big. And oh, not as sure. many people.
1: Yeah. Not as many people, not as many uh, fish going into it uh, annually. And, you know, you, would, you could still find these 10 pounder, uh, 10 pound fish lakes in the Kamloops area where now there's only a few. And uh, I mean, you know, and the, the the thing is too, it it was bound to happen. I mean, you know, we got population, we've got the internet, we've got uh, fantastic stocking programs that that keep it, uh, you know, that keep fish in these lakes, or or they would kill, and that would be the end of it. So, um, you know, and lakes go through cycles. Like one, I remember one year we went up uh, to one lake, and it was always had small, small fish in it, and we're like, ah you know, no bother going here, went back three years later, this thing had tanks in it, right? And unfortunately that, 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 that winter came in and, and it killed and we oh, went right. ended up going back to, you know, yeah, uh, tiny fish, but you, they come in cycles, right? So you always kind of, there's a couple lakes you always have to check on and stuff like that. I won't talk about them on here, Sure, but, no. but yeah, it, it does, you know, they go through cycles for sure.
0: That's right. Okay. And, and currently, so talk about that now with what you have going. So you, you're tying, you're doing these videos. How did all of that start with you? You know, you've got and you're working. I know you have a connection, I think with Togans and like your, your name just out there. How did that, did that come just gradually over time? Did you plan that? Is this kind of, was this part of your master plan?
1: Definitely not part of any master plan. So, you know, uh, I kind of, how it actually worked, it worked with the family too, because for a while there, I, you know, my daughter was born, uh, 2011, and so I'm we just spending so much time at home at the home front. Once she kind of got up to that kindergarten level, I started getting a bit more free time. I start, and that it, it all kind of worked from there around that 2015 era, and I started uh, getting more free time, getting back into it, doing a lot more fishing and stuff like that, and a lot more fly tying. Cause we got our room back and stuff like that. And, uh, so then that happened and then I got into competition fishing oh, yeah. late 2016, 2017. And I was like, wow, like there's competition fishing. You mean I can represent Canada one day, <laughs> you right. know, like be on team Canada. So then I just went full blown. I was like, I'm dedicating, you know, I was like the idea of representing Canada fly fishing, you know, um, was just blew my mind so I went full full on trout i stopped salmon fishing there, anything i did was all uh, lake and river dedicated to trout fishing and then I was learning patterns i was learning these u k competition patterns and and i kind of just it was like a big you know melting pot of of information and data putting it all together and then thinking how can i take all this and you know, and start winning these competitions and still have that knowledge of the lakes and the, the, the cycles, you know, like the, what happens in the seasons and the hatches and stuff and apply that. And, you know, then, you know, the, somebody said, you know, I got this Instagram account, check out all these flies, check out all these guys, what they're doing. So then I started an Instagram account and
0: then the whole thing just started. Yep. Beautiful flies out there on Instagram
1: flies going out there and fishing and, and then, you know, sometimes you win and the comps and stuff. And, and then it just kind of e- e- uh, evolved, just kind of happened. That's cool. Um, definitely wasn't planned. Right? It wasn't
0: planned. So I I'm interested in this too, because you mentioned your kid born at, it seems like there's some similarities to us, but how many brothers did you have? Do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I have one older brother and one older sister.
0: Okay. One older. Yeah. And so I, and I have three older brothers and then on your kids, do you have uh, one daughter or more than one? One daughter. Okay. One daughter. Yeah. So I had my daughter, my first daughter was born in 2012. So we got pretty similar. Very. Yeah. Here's the question for you is the kid, we don't have to (laughs) dig deep for this, but have you found, uh, having a daughter is start is getting harder now again, after it was maybe easy or what's your, what's your take there?
1: Well, there were some very sweet years for a while there and now she's 12 going on 13 in March and oh my gosh, you know, and it's like,
0: I just want to make sure I'm not the only one that's feeling that. Oh, you're not
1: the only one, Dave. Okay. And the thing is, you know, I I say to my mom, I'm like, you know, what's with her? Like, she I just look at her and she's just ready to tear my face off. Exactly. She's like, Stanton, remember you at 13. I'm like, oh yeah, she is an
0: angel. (laughs) I'm trying to remember that. That's the thing. I'm trying to remember what I need. I know, I don't, I would never tell my kids the stuff I did when I was that age, but I know what I did. It was some crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So. Okay. So good. All right, that's a check there. And then uh on the comp, I want to talk comp fishing, you know, because I want to hear about this um but I'm also interested in kind of, you know, you mentioned uh, Jack Shaw and some of the mentors. Who are the people up there because Phil Roy he's really he's in our w- wheelhouse because we're putting trips together with him and he's obviously out there all over the place. Brian Chan, Mm -hmm. you know, are there just a handful of people up there that paved the way like Jack Shaw's or there are just lots and lots of people up there? What, what, you know, when you think about that, what what was your influence? Who were your mentors? Well, you know,
1: like Brian Chan, for sure. And Phil, for sure. Uh, you know, Brian was a huge part of that, creating that whole stalking program all through the eighties and everything like that. Right. And his mentor was Jack Shaw. Oh right, and you know that goes back into the 70s and 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 earlier, but you know Camelus has got a really interesting history on the how they actually stocked all those lakes, uh, way back in the early 1900s, and Bill Nation coming across from England.
0: Yeah, how did that happen? How did all that happen? Do you know the history pretty well? Well,
1: he came over in the early, I think, early 1900s. I might be wrong, but sometime around there, and he. We used to, you know, horse carriage uh, in a, you know, probably big buckets and stuff, uh, trout from some of the rivers and put them into the lakes. One of them was uh, Paul Lake. He started that and actually built a lodge on Paul Lake. And, uh, the, you know, there's some of, there's like na- Nation Special and some of these patterns and they're beautiful British looking wet fly patterns. And, uh, you know, there's, they've kind of evolved into, what they are now kind of looking more like natural food items but you can still see on some like the knuff lake special for instance that is very you know bill nation inspired pattern and uh so then that came about jack shaw was probably the next one there's there's a couple other people um that were up there that opened up some fly shops i know there was um Gord honey was one of them too but, you know, the, the big names for sure would be Phil Rowley and Brian Chan. And, you know, Brian's still up there catching fish on a regular basis. Yeah, Brian's still out there going for it? Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, even though he's retired from the fisheries and stuff, I think he's very much in the game as far as, you know, uh making sure the lakes are, are producing. And then, you know, when a kill happens and stuff, that it's not the end of the world. He, he lets people know that, right? Yeah, right. So, you know. But, uh, so those were, when we were kids, you know, you would, you would hear about Brian Chan. My brother used to talk about Brian Chan and how he was responsible for stalking all the lakes. And, um, you know, and, and Phil, I, I once asked Phil too, you know, it, Phil, did you come up with the chromy, you know, like a, a chromy, um, chironomid pattern, you know, representing a, a gassing up pupa emerging to the surface? And he goes, well, you know, and he answered this really well. And he said, you know, I can't say I invented it, but you know, it, uh, I might have been one of the first to put it out there, right? Say, you know, keeping it really a good, solid answer. But to my knowledge, nobody had done that yet, had, had wrapped that tinsel around there to represent that, that gassed up pupa, uh, emerging. So yeah, those guys really paved the way. And you know, same with filling all those patterns too. Like you, all those are patterns are tested and proven patterns. So. He was a big inspiration for sure.
0: Yeah, he's been out there. And who is the new, is there a new Brian Chan now that's basically taken his role of all the fishery stuff?
1: Uh, I know there's
0: Steve. There's probably uh, there got to be somebody, right?
1: Yeah, there is. There is. I think in Calis there's Steve Miracle. I think he's active. I don't actually know. I mean.
0: That'd be a good question for Brian to say, because like, eventually Brian's going to be, you know, he'll be gone. I wonder, he must be prepping the next person to make sure it's covered.
1: Yeah, I think he's very much like in a consultant role or, yeah, or you know, because he's, right. he's all over the lakes up there and he does some guiding and stuff up there
0: too, right? Oh, right. So he's still working. Yeah, he's probably still working just as a consultant.
1: I think so, right? Because you see him a lot with the uh the Go Fish BC, um oh, right, the, 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 the stalking uh, program and stuff. So he still has some activity for sure and, and involved in it in some way for sure.
0: Nice, nice. Good. Well, and, and like I said, I wanted to um, dig into some on your fly tying as well and touch base there. But I, the comp fishing is interesting because I think this year wasn't the um, the Masters held up in uh, in Kamloops or in B.C. this year?
1: Yes, they had the uh, the Kamloops Masters, which is 50 and over, and the women's or the ladies' uh, worlds. Uh, and, ladies world. yeah.
0: and, and so our guy, so Pete Erickson is another one of the guys we're doing some trips with, and he won the um, gold. And and I think uh, the U.S. missed. Well, at least we're talking to U.S. now, right? Missed the um, the gold as a team by one. But how did how did Canada do the team Canada for the? Do they have a master's team? I'm assuming.
1: Well, the women's ended up with silver, I believe. Oh, and nice. I, and I think the men's. Uh, I should know this, but I think they finished fourth. Fourth. Okay. Um, so close. Yeah, so close. And you know, it's. Uh, I know that the rivers that they were fishing, the one of them, the the clear water. It's a salmon bearing river and when that late when they when the competition was happening a lot of the fish had moved up following the salmon further up river so they had actually gone outside the uh the the salmon or the fish the trout had moved outside of a lot of the competition beats so that made for some pretty tough fishing i mean uh i you know like the when you see the uh the checks or the or some of the european teams uh blank like not catch any fish you know that that's tough fishing right, right? on the river. because right? Those guys don't uh, strike out often when it comes no. to the rivers. They're just wow. so talented. Right.
0: So it was tricky. Well, and are you now actively still fishing with the, what, what's the, the adult, is it called adults the next level down or the next age?
1: Yeah. So I, I would be very much in the, in the rest of the pool besides the youth. I think youth is 16 and under, and then I'm everything above that. Me and a lot of the rest of them in fly fishing Canada. I just came back last June from Scotland. I, I attended the, um, the fly fishing Commonwealth championship in Scotland. And that was really good. Also very tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it fishing for wild brown trout. Um, oh, wow. and the, you know, and these, I'm used to lakes. some, some of these lakes can go up to a hundred feet deep. You know, a Jeez. lot of them are 40 feet or 60 feet. These lakes you can walk across in Scotland. Yeah. Right? You can actually just oh, keep walking right across these things. Um, so it was, it was a bit of adjustment, you know, in BC, we fish a lot of, uh, well, we are only, um, allowed to fish single fly in Scotland. We are fishing washing line, three fly, uh, techniques. So that was a bit of adjustment for a BC guy like myself, but, um, but a great experience. And, uh so, you know, we, we finished, uh, I think fifth in that. Uh-huh.
0: Nice.
1: Um, so yeah, you know, it was it, some of the some of the, uh, the the guys did really well on the boats and stuff like that because we're kind of used to that. But I mean, there's there's no substitute for uh, you know home ice advantage and and knowing wh- wh- which where that which rocks hold fish and stuff like that, right? So that's right, yeah, yeah
0: home court advantage. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Nice. Well, um, and this is all interesting. You got a lot going. So that's cool to hear that you've got um, the competitive part of it going. We've talked to a lot of the US uh, team USA, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm hoping Pete's going to come on as a a host on this podcast. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one of my goals. We've been reaching out to some of our gurus who have been doing trips and, and having them do host the show. So if he does that, it'll be cool to hear because I'd love to get more of that, um, team, you know, just the competition, right. That, that whole thing, what's that like for you? What do you love? We'll talk about, you know, kind of this, as far as competition fishing, what, what do you love about it most?
1: I, for me, I love the, uh, I really like being part of the BC league, like the British Columbia league, because they're all my friends. And a lot of them have, have you know, showed me, uh, showed me how to fish or, or not show me how to fish, but how to get better. Right. And I really like the camaraderie in it, you know, because where it is a competition, it's uh, I remember, you know, looking back at it, Todd Oshi is one of the big organizers of the uh, the British Columbia League. And uh, when I first started competition fishing in 2017, my first comp, I finished last. The second comp, I finished second from last because the, the guy that was last left the comp halfway through. So I was kind of in the bottom of the barrel and, you know, I was like, Oh man, should I, should I continue doing this? And I remember Todd said to me, he goes, you know, it's, it is a competition, but we're all just gathered here on the Sunday. We're just having fun. We're, you know, we're socializing. It's the only competition you have is against yourself. It's how fast you can adapt. And once I kind of got that, that, uh, thinking in, in my mind, I was like, Oh, okay. I just got to see it like that. And then, you know, things started happening and uh and that's what i love about it now it's like it's it's like it's it's like testing yourself you know like how fast can i adapt okay this is working you're seeing this guy on this bank picking him up or on this boat picking him up what's he doing how what's he doing for retrieve what line is that you know and then you start putting together the the puzzle and uh you know it makes it really good when you're wreck fishing too recreational fishing and you're able to go okay That's not working. Let's do this type seven, this line.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's been a big part, right? That the the comp really helps you elevate your uh, everything else. Yeah. Right. Otherwise I, you know, I could be sitting
1: there all day staring at an indicator, not getting a single thing. Meanwhile, you know, you throw on a, a blob or a, or some type of, you know, flashy foam, uh, attractor lure of some sort on a type seven and start ripping it along the bottom and picking up fish. Right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah.
1: Good. It's good like that.
0: What's your, you know, if you look at, you know, there's still waters all around the world, obviously, and sounds like you fish some of those. If you're going to a new lake, do you have a certain set of um, patterns that you kind of feel like are your top, you know, here's my top 10 or top whatever, 20 patterns that, you know, you, that work everywhere or what's your take there?
1: Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, I like to go around the shorelines and see what type of bugs there are. I mean, there's no substitute for going into a local fly shop if you have the chance or calling ahead and saying, you know, what, are these, what do these things eat, right? Because I'll tell you one thing, we went, like, just coming back to Scotland, we went out to Scotland, I had all my dragons and my leeches and my shrimps and, you know, the BC staples, right? None of them work there.
0: Really? Right.
1: <laughs> <None of them. laughs> and then I'm like, well, what do you guys got? And they're like, well, we use these. And they're showing these, you know, beautiful Scottish wet flies, Cape McLarens and All these other types of bugs and stuff or, or flies. And they're like, well, that's like a mayfly. I'm like, well, that doesn't look anything like a mayfly, (laughs) like a mayfly nymph, but you know, you put it on. Here it is with its, you know, yellow hackle and all these things like that. And it's just hammering the fish. So I would like to say, you know, I would, I could go in there and, you know, throw in some leeches or uh, nymphs or something like that. But you really have to see what the fish are are eating and you got some fish like our fish, they kind of cruise the bottom and eventually they follow the hatches to the top. And then you got places like in, you know, in Tasmania or Scotland, where all the, the brown trout are all looking up. Like they won't even see her fly on a wet line going in front of them. They're all sitting there waiting for something to land on the surface and blow off the, uh, whatever wind direction. So,
0: you know, it's all about adapting really, you know, it really is. Yeah. And and what, on your lakes, um, you know, I guess, well, let's just t- take it to your YouTube channel, right? It sounds like, are you still doing a lot on, on YouTube?
1: I'm going to be doing more. I kind of took a little break from that and really enjoyed fishing for the last year and a half. So I got to get back into it, doing more of that. I, I was doing a few for sure. I was getting into it. And then, it, you know, once this season starts happening, you're like, okay, I'll see you in the fall or see you yeah. next December, right?
0: That's right. So, which is now, which is now, right? We're coming up into... Now. Yeah. December. So this is the, is, are things pretty much, uh, not much going on up there now?
1: Well, I, the last, the last month, well, last month and a half, I, uh, I got back into salmon fishing. Oh, wow. And, uh, I just been you know, i been tying up rolled muddlers and, you know, some, some cutty patterns that really pick up the coho, uh, you know, woolly buggers and stuff like that. And I just been thoroughly enjoying it, you know, go hitting the local rivers and stuff.
0: Yeah, what are the uh, local? What's the so? Where are you exactly now? I'm in Vancouver, right? So, so
1: I've got the uh, one hour northwest of me. I go into the Squamish River and the tributaries, and then one hour east, I get into the Vetter River, uh, the Stave River. And then an hour and a half away, I go into the Harrison River, and they're all salmon-bearing streams, right? So, yeah.
0: so you got everything. You got Coho and and uh, Chinook and like all five species of salmon plus steelhead and everything.
1: Yes. Yeah. Wow. So I'm I'm right back into that and you know and, and like you said there with steelhead like that's right around the corner for me and I'll be doing a lot more of that you know swinging flies for that.
0: Yeah, so, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, like it's it's been really cool getting back into it because um, I was so when it came to rivers I was like nope I'm going to target trout I'm going to fish this I'm going to do this. But it's been nice going out and, you know, going, especially with the coho, right? Because some of your bycatches are these wild cutties, you know,
0: oh, yeah. and,
1: uh, and they're beautiful looking fish. So it's been really nice. It's been a real fun, uh, last, you know, six to eight weeks kind of doing this. So,
0: oh, that's cool. What, what triggered you to get back into the salmon stuff? You know, I just thought like, uh, cause the goal from
1: basically winter 2016 and 2017 was to make team Canada. Once that happened in 2023, I was like, okay, that goal is being made. I'm still going to be very active in in the competition scene, doing the nationals, doing all the regionals and stuff. But I want to get back into, because when I first moved to Vancouver 2000 and got into, you know, salmon fishing, that just blew my mind. Like coming from like Kamloops where you're fishing lakes and trout and rivers to holy crow, this thing's like half a kilometer out of the ocean. It's got sea lice on it and it, you know, it just ran me down the bank for 200 yards. That blew my mind. And and then I kind of got out of that, did the comp thing. And then I'm like, you know what? I want to, I want, you know, and I was looking at my spay rod a couple of days ago. I'm like, I can't wait to swing this thing.
0: There you go. <laughs> like like,
1: yeah, I was like, you know, this is going to be fun, right? So.
0: Yeah. And you guys can do it up there. Does it work? I mean, fight for Coho, Chinook. Can you pretty much swing everything? Oh, absolutely. Trout Routes is the most comprehensive mapping app for trout anglers. With over 50,000 trout streams, 350,000 access points, public land maps, and more, Trout Routes is the number one resource for navigating, researching, and exploring trout streams. And it deserves a place in every angler's toolkit. I was in New York fishing recently. My first time in New York fishing, I had the Trout Routes app, and I was able to check out and access public access points through the maze of private property on the rivers we were fishing. And after I got into the stream and was fishing down through a run, um, I wasn't quite sure. I saw a house down below. I wasn't quite sure where the property lines ended. But given that I had trout routes, I was confident where I was fishing and I was able to uh, assure that I wasn't trespassing. You will be fully prepared with offline maps. You can get driving directions to points of interest, drop pins, Add your notes in the app, all while keeping all of your data private to your account only. You can visit TroutRoutes.com right now to learn more and download the Trout Routes app for free in the App Store today. That's Trout Routes, T-R-O-U-T-R-O-U-T-E-S. Start exploring today. So basically, this is really interesting because I think you... Um, You know, you had this goal and you have the comp going and now you're kind of back to your roots. And I mean, I love salmon and steelhead too. It's, it's interesting down, you know, we're down south of you a ways and it's harder to catch coho and Chinook on a fly down here. I'm not quite sure why, but it's not like I've caught some coho up in, you know, British Columbia up on the Skeena and things like that. And it's it's amazing to swing. It's amazing to swing up a coho because it feels like it is a lot like a steelhead. But is that what you are doing? Are you out there swinging up these fish, coho, chinook, everything on, on the fly?
1: I was, I was earlier in October because we were getting so much fresh coho coming in. Same with the springs and stuff. They were the springs came in first. This would be on the vetter. and you know you, you, when you could find the room and stuff, you could swing these flies. And when you would hook one of these, like you know, dime bright coho. And you just see your fly or you see your line just going zzzz, zzzz, right into the river like that. It's incredible. You just see the door, so it looks like a shark. Or you or you hammer one of these springs and they just leap up into the air. And then all of a sudden you're just going holding on to Wow. And you are
0: know? the springs, what is the spring? Is that Spring Chinook? That's Chinook, yeah. Yeah, Spring Chinook, okay. Because you have, I'm not even sure you guys have Fall Chinook, probably, and Spring Chinook up there, right? Just different life histories. Yeah, yeah. Well, we,
1: um, but they're all Chinook and stuff like that. Some these ones I'm talking about were all the hatchery uh supplemented ones, right? Oh, I see. But uh they're huge, you know. You, those things they just they pull like a freight train. Like you're just uh you're holding on basically until a thing stops and then you're trying to get um, you know, get line on it, right? But uh but lately, as of late, now that there are, a lot of them are in the system and, and in the backwater and the sloughs and certain parts of the river. I've been going to single hat, I've been using my, my 10, my 10 foot four, uh, six weight and, and throwing like rolled muddlers and, and, you know, patterns like that. And just doing slow, slow retrieves on like a, a floating line with an integrated sink tip. And then, you know, you hook into one of those coho and it's, it's a blast.
0: Oh yeah. It's really cool. you're, You're sure now you're and I've done a little bit of this too, up in Alaska with those coho up there that are. Yeah, you're stripping them in, and, and some of those yeah. places up in Alaska. I mean, I, I it's it's hard to say you get tired of doing it, but I mean, it can be that good where you're literally oh. just, but following them right into your feet. Is that kind of what you get there with yes, these fish? That's
1: exactly it. And you oh, are, wow. and you're like, and I've had them to the point where you know you're standing on the bank and you're throwing them out, and you're like, okay, there's the there's the end of my fly line, and you just do a lift, and all of a sudden you see this like you know big chrome flash, you're like it. You're like it was right there in like a foot of water. Oh, you just see it turn right. Yeah. And you just think like, what if, you know, as so I was thinking, like, I got to start doing the hang more when I'm coho fishing, like right at the end. But, you know, of course, you get a hook set on that. I mean, that's kind of hard when you're, yeah, when you're leaders gosh. at your rod tip.
0: <laughs> Are you able to keep, um, you know, kill, take some of those coho, chinook, all those fish? Yes, home? like,
1: yes, absolutely. If you can get the hatchery when the adipose uh, fin is uh, clipped, uh, and we, I did keep a few definitely back in October, but lately everything I've been hitting now is all wild. And so you're just doing your best to keep that thing in the water and, yeah. And you know, yeah, that's cool. That's
0: really yeah. cool. Wow. So you got, I mean, you got a lot going on, so you have all of this going and then you, then the still water, when does that start hopping again? When do you start getting out in the lakes after ice out? Or do you have an ice out? I mean, I'm not even sure. Is that kind of the case up there?
1: Well, in the lower mainland, we have our. Are uh, like in the Vancouver area and the, what we call the Fraser Valley, we have a couple stock lakes that don't ice over. Um, and they, they get uh, stocked, but I mean, the fish are very small. When it really starts happening is um, late March, early April, the lakes in the Kamloops area, they'll start to, and, and the Okanagan area, they'll start to uh, ice off. And then that kind of fishery begins. And then as you go in from late April to early May, the caribou opens up too. And then you've got, you know, by May, usually you have all of British Columbia open. And then it's just, you know, fun for the next six months type of thing.
0: Yeah. God. If somebody was to ask you, you know, like what's a river or what's a lake that has, you know, that's a great lake everybody would know about that. We're not like, um, you know, giving any secrets here. Are there a lot of names out there of lakes people would have heard about that we could maybe mention here? Well, yeah, for
1: sure. Like, I mean, a great fishery is Tunqua Lake. It gets, I think they could put like 12,000 fish in it. And, you know, you get fish between three and five, well, you know, between one and five pounds. Uh, it's a good fishery. It fishes well. You can fish it in, in the summer. It's not like other lakes that um, go through bad uh, summer doldrums and stuff. This thing, once it ices off, it's pretty much good to go till it ices on. Um, the other really good one was Roach Lake. Unfortunately, Roach Lake got a bad uh, uh, kill last year. Like I think it was like a ninety percent plus kill. Oh wow! But here's the thing that's really interesting: they've stocked it with uh, with Fraser Valleys, which is a certain strain, and some of these fish this year's stock are, you know, two pounds or just over two pounds already. Oh wow! Right? So they're yeah. growing fast, They're growing fast. Cause you know, there's, they got Roach Lake has a lot of food in it, a lot of scuds, a lot of all sorts of stuff, good chronomid hatches and stuff. So these oh, things right. are just chowing.
0: And they know exactly right. They have these down to a science. They're like, okay, we know exactly how many fish to put in here so they can grow at a certain rate.
1: Well, you know what? Here's the thing I was telling my friends about this. Right. And I remember I did a fly time event in Kamloops last March. And we were talking about uh, the um, winter kill. Brian Chan came in. And we were talking about the winter kill, and he was saying, "Oh yeah, it's it's not looking good. It's it's uh, roaches had a pretty significant kill." I was like, "Oh man, that's too bad." And he kind of looked at me and smiled. I was like, "Why is he smiling about this? He loves this lake." And why he's smiling He's because he knows that lake's going to reset and in three years it's going to have tanks. Right? Oh, right.
0: <laughs> so it's going to, so almost it's like if you could wait a little bit, it's, it, it maybe is even better because is that the case? Well, this is the thing. If it doesn't kill this year
1: and it doesn't kill um, next year, uh, that will be a good three to four years. And though, you know, if those things are already two pounds plus in just one during the cycle of May to October. Give them two more years, they're going to be, you know, five pounds plus yeah. easily, like good still water, you know, right trophy fish, right?
0: And are these fish up there in that lake or are these other ones, are they uh, like spawning and, and things like that or are most of them not?
1: No, they'll all be what they call female uh, triploid. They won't, they won't spawn. They might, you know, kind of condition looking like they might or thinking they're going to. But they don't actually spawn. They
0: just sit there and eat. Yeah, they don't spawn, and they do that because they don't want. Um, why? Why do they not want spawning in in those places?
1: For that is because they want to really turn it into a, a solid a trophy uh, sort of trophy thing. fishery, right? Yeah, um, right, right. I right. know some some of the lakes they did stalk, and then they didn't actually. One of the lakes in Camloops, Leighton Lake, they used to stalk. And then they, because it was creek-fed and the, the fish were able to naturally, what they call natural recruitment, uh, they stopped stocking it in 2012. And the, then the lake just, and the thing is too, the, the lake having natural recruitment, when you would hook these fish, they weren't quite as big as because they're not like they're eating the whole time like these triploids. But when you would hook them, they had that natural fight like as if you know these things grew up fighting the current in a creek type of thing and they would pull like freight trains right you know a three pound panask out of there or black water was like catching a five pound plus than any other lake like like you know fold your six weight tip right into the water pulling these things up type of fish so there is something to say about natural recruitment but everybody loves to get that go for that double digit yeah the double digit
0: the 10 pound right is that the what's the trophy size that everybody's shooting for is it is it 10 pounds or is it length or is it weight
1: it's the 10 pound like the actual weighed 10 pound like the no bs 10 pound you see some of you guys like oh this is 10 pounds like no that's five maybe six
0: yeah 10 pound is like a i mean in steelhead it's it's easier probably but with trout 10 pound is probably what a 30 inch fish or something like that.
1: It's a 30. You know what the 30 inch is always a good way of looking at it. You know, we have these nets, these Moby nets, and they have the 24-inch um basket, right? And when you see the nose of that fish on the basket, and it's still got a third past the where the handle is, then you know you're getting into that 10 pound range, right? Or definitely, definitely over seven range, right? What I mean, I mean this year. What was I doing? I, I was up at a lake, up in the Caribou region, and I was like, well, I lifted this thing up in the movie, and I'm like, oh my god, get over here! I need you got to take a picture of this. This thing's freaking a tank. And uh, waited, and I was nine. What was I? Nine eleven or something like that.
0: Oh really? I was like, oh wow.
1: Oh, I was like, no.
0: <laughs> oh man, so you've caught and, a few fish that are in that range. Oh yeah, yeah. Not a yeah. lot, like it's, it's getting harder and harder. Right.
1: And yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta know the lakes and, and yep. things like that. But when you, when you get up to that and you, you know, the thing, is, it's just, you can't take a picture of this thing yourself. Like it won't, you, you, your hand's not big enough to even hold this thing, the girth of this thing. Right. Oh yeah. Um, you're, you're, They're basic. It's like a steelhead. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: A um, ten pounder. Yeah. So but that one actually wasn't. I was like, "Oh my God, this is a 12. But uh, yep, it was not quite no, there. It, God, it wasn't this, even a ten.
0: <laughs> this is good. Um, so, so yeah, and I want to talk a little bit. You know, we mentioned Togans at the start. Justin, I've been working with him uh, for quite a while now, and we've heard a lot about Togans. Um, so, tell me that. What? How How did you connect with Togans? Are you? Are you doing some stuff with them, like doing videos, or what's your connection? And, and is Justin the the guy you've been connected with?
1: Yeah, I've I've uh, known Justin right from. Right from when we the first conversation, I remember a friend of mine uh, introduced us. Tyler. Tyler was uh, uh, Tyler Ekdahl was tying for Togans, and he said to Justin, "Hey, you gotta you gotta see this Stanton Jack guy. He's got some great patterns. Uh, you know, he's showing me stuff like that." And Tyler said, "Hey, you gotta connect with Justin. Uh, he's with Togans." I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'll, you know, right on. Let's do it." Because I was using Togans mid hooks for last five years previous and stuff, right? and uh so we had the conversation he's like yeah your flies look great um you know use our hooks and beads and come over and check it out and i remember going over to the headquarters and uh walking in and you're like wow this is cool right and so then that you know we uh just and i we talked about you know certain hook developments and and uh you know what are what are some of the trends and i was, i went from Doing a lot of the tie into some of the actual product development, which was really cool. I really liked that. I was like, I was like, hey, you know what? We we're going to redesign these hooks, and they're going to we're going to call them BC specials, and they're going to be like this. And there you go, you know, right? You know, yeah. So um, it that it's been a fun, and you know, I, I've been treated really well. You know, thinking of it, every all the sponsors that I've worked with have really been really good like that. I I've been probably one of the lucky ones. No. Nobody said to me oh you can't do this or you shouldn't do this or we don't agree right. with this cuz that happens when you get into the
0: to the sponsor game. Like oh right there's certain limitations. So you're pretty much open to kind of do whatever you want to do and just test and try stuff.
1: Well that's that's it too and I always kind of I always told these uh, companies that I I work with or sponsored by what have you is that uh, I I want to do my own thing. I I'm not in it to tie to uh, be on the cover of a magazine. I, I tie for, I tie for hook sets. I, all my patterns, I want to, uh, I mean, if you're, you're more than welcome to use them, but eventually this thing's going to soak the water and it's going to catch a fish. Right. And, uh, you know, if, if a company ever said to me, oh, we don't want you using this or whatever, I would probably ask them about it. Then eventually I would say, well, you know, I want to, I want to do what I want to do. So, uh, not to be a rebel or anything, but I mean, oh, if, yeah. You, you you know, I want to be able to use a product or, or fish here or fish with these people and not have to worry about any of the politics
0: involved in it yep. and stuff.
1: Right. That's cool. That's the way to yeah. do it.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like the, the podcasting, you know, what, what we have here is the same cool thing about podcasts in general is that, you know, it, there's really no restrictions that's, you know, you, you own it, you can do whatever you want, you don't you know, as long as you're not, you know, doing anything that's, um, you know, violating or criminal stuff, obviously. But no, I mean, it's cool because we can just have a conversation and talk about whatever and help some people, you know, kind of with some fly yeah. fishing tips and stuff. Yeah, it's good.
1: And that's what it's all about, right? Like, I mean, because, you know, some people, they get they get right into it, you know, like the, the whole sponsor thing. And, and you know, I, I have to admit, like when I first, you know, when Togans first took me on and, and some other companies and stuff, I was like, wow this is great look at all these free hooks and stuff like that right <laughs> i mean i mean i don't tie commercially or anything like that so i mean i got looking at my bed right now i'm like oh my gosh there's two bins of of material i haven't even opened yet right I, i'm looking at the on the ground here there's a box from semper fly i'm like i gotta i gotta open that box
0: yeah right you got so that. much stuff right it's just there <laughs> Yeah.
1: I mean, it's totally appreciated. It's awesome that the companies back up, uh, you know, and these companies have backed me up with the Team Canada stuff. I went over there with like, you know, Togan sent over like 10 pounds of hooks and beads and and materials, right? I'm like, this is going to take up suitcase weight, man, (laughs) you know? but it's great yeah. that that they're they're doing that same with raids app. they they you know with the auction and stuff like that they um yeah they threw in stuff oh, for the yeah. auction yeah, yeah, that's so right. that's cool
0: that's cool yeah that's good what's your uh, how did you get into did you the fly tying did you teach yourself just watching videos or did you have some like mentors how how did you get to where you are
1: well my brother used to tie up these uh, flies and i used to watch him do it and that was kind of the first introduction and then when i got into high school I met some of my friends, uh, Schmidty and, and Gary Dogleash and stuff, and they were fishing. They were out for, um, in the Heffley. They're from Rayleigh, and they used to fish the Heffley Lakes and all the lakes out that way. And uh, they were tying up leeches and dragons and stuff. So that's when I really started kind of learning how to do it. Um, but I mean, it was ugh, our flies were so basic. I remember looking. I just found some in an old box when I was cleaning out my mom's storage. I'm like, oh wow, look at this thing. I haven't seen this in you know 30 plus years open it up i'm like oh yeah there's my leech and there's my dragon and the only thing that made the leech different with the dragon was the, the little goose by it sticking out for legs right I thought yeah I was, I thought it was the same pattern right i'm like oh look at that coronavirus. and i that's when i remembered i'm like oh yeah we we took apart my old Tyco remote control racing car and stripped the copper out of it for the rib yeah <laughs> you know? and like and i was looking at that i'm like oh man these patterns but you know what coming back to it dave i remember you know bombing around in little honda civics wherever any car we could get you know little s10s and stuff like that going into the lakes and those flies hammered
0: oh they did the old the old patterns worked
1: oh yeah 100 percent, right and then i look at those you know like those three patterns there and i'm looking at my chronomids now and there's like you know Two thousand of these things in the mfc box right right and i'm looking at oh, every color beaded semi-sealed freaking squirrel tail leech and stuff and i'm like man i need to go back to like you know this is it this is the bead you're going to use it's a big brassy gold bead
0: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you
1: know
0: just go back but, to the old, the old uh, stuff go back where... to
1: the roots right
0: yeah yeah that's a good that's a good reminder there it's fun i mean part of it's fun right testing new stuff but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean that old stuff works still.
1: And and here's the thing though too, you know, I, I looking at it, I mean, the reality is I those who knows what those fish were thinking when that marabou went flying in front of them like on a type three, right? But uh, it's for sure now, especially with the fly tying game. I mean, you see some of these European tires and stuff and they're they're just pushing the limits of what can be done with a bob and thread and a, you know, a vice, right? Like it's just incredible. But I think, I know for myself, my own time, I realism's great and, and doing stuff like that. And I think it's everybody should dabble in it a bit. But, uh, you know, coming back to it, you, you, all those flies got to see duty. They got to go out and catch fish, right? Yeah, I mean, it's great to have flies that you can put behind glass and stuff. But it's like those Hardy Reels. It's like, I'm looking at my Perfect. I'm like, you know, I just saw a, a Hardy Perfect go for 750 US on eBay. Oh yeah, and I'm, and I'm looking at my reel. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't fish it. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell with that? I'm totally gonna fish that thing. Yeah, you, know? you gotta
0: fish it, you gotta <laughs> right? Fish
1: it. Like, why, why, why put it behind glass or something? I right? know. You I know, know, you gotta fish those things, and and same with the flies. Um, uh, with all the flies, I, I like to match hatches and see how good I can do it.
0: But either way, that thing's going in the water. Come come spring. Yeah, or right. Yeah, now. I agree. I agree. You know? Yeah, we had a. We gave away one of our giveaways. We gave away a stonefly net, and uh, it was just beautiful. And I had the um, the guy who won it. He was on talking about it, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, "Oh man, I don't know if I want to actually get to see on the water. It's so beautiful, you know." And he's like, "But I'm gonna get out there at least once, and you know, and use it." But it's tough because some of that stuff, I don't have a lot of that because I'm more, I just pretty much bang up all my stuff. But um, but no, I hear you. Some of the Hardy, that'd be nice to have a perfect. That's a that's a good reel to have. Well, this is
1: yeah. You know, here's the thing, and I remember when I got them too, because I got these two uh, three-eighths Hardy Perfects, right? Because we're allowed to fish two rods out of one boat when you're by yourself, and I have two of them. And uh, all my friends call them the Luna Tractors, right? Because as soon as one of these things goes on a self-set, any any bird that's in a one-mile radius of that lake will come near my boat because you can hear these it's like spinning a half inch ratchet as fast as you can you know those perfects, but uh i love the sound of them like i grew up with those british fly reels and 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 hearing you know when you're on the river and all also like that's a that's a classic sound of success right so that sounds cool yeah cool. yeah i nice. so love those reels
0: well, uh, we're going to take it out here in a little bit, but I just wanted to kind of go back to that, you know, your home waters, which are pretty much you fish, you know, that whole area of, of BC, you know, thinking again about, you know, kind of materials, fly tying. What, what are those, you know, when you think of that your materials that you're tying some flies for steel water, what, what are those must have materials? Are there a, just a pile of things, different things you use? Or, or what would you say if you had a, a short list of things?
1: I think for the mid game,
0: you'd want your your red
1: Thread, your black thread. You'd want uh, a good curved nymph hook. I mean, there's lots of them. Togans has them. Daiichi has them.
0: What would right? be what would be a Togans uh, nymph hook that you would use for the chronomid? Okay, so here would here would be a go-to chronomid for me
1: if I was going to set up a, a a chronomid. I'd have a Togens size 18 curved nymph hook. I would have uh, a red butt. I'd tie my red thread all the way down it, and then I would tie I would wrap it back up, cut that off, put in my black thread, go about, I don't know, five, six of the way down or just past three quarters or whatever, and tie in my ASB, bring my black thread up and start making the taper, wrap my ASB around it so I'm counter-ribbing it. So I have seven ribs underneath it. The the ASBs create counter-ribbing, right? You're counting your ribs as your thread that's showing. Wrap that up to the top and then tie it off, cut off the AS, cut off the ASB, and then you could decide, you know, if you want a white bead on the top, you could run that with a white bead or you could put on a gunmetal or a brown bead. I've been doing a lot of brown bead lately and that's been really really effective. And uh and then it's up to you if you want to put a collar, you know, burnt orange makes a nice collar. I know some people have, have do them as hot spots and they put on some like a brighter, you know, like almost like a floral orange and stuff or a pink and stuff like that. But that's a go-to. I mean, that in that size, you throw that out, right? And get that a foot off the bottom. Or if you're seeing these things move up the in the column on the finder, put that you know in 12 feet of water, put it down eight feet and you're going to hook up with a fish in between April and say uh, July, you're going to get a fish.
0: Is that your, in your area, is that the number one? Like if you had to say your top five patterns in your area, was that one of them? That would be one of them. I mean, I run a lot of ASB. And what is the ASB? What's that? What's that?
1: So that's, uh, anti static bag, right? Yeah. It's, it's like the stuff you get around from computers and stuff, right? And, uh, that what used to be is people used to have to hand cut that stuff. You'd have these guys coming up, coming up with these clever, uh, razor blade inventions where they take, uh, Xacto knife blades and, and, tie them all together and that would make the perfect you know 0. 0.5 millimeter strip right but now you now places like tokens and there's other companies all sell this uh pre-cut and once that, that actually was a game changer the fact that you didn't have to you take your scissors and cut the stuff was awesome
0: yeah and what is the what does that asb do different than say what would be something else that maybe is similar but doesn't work as well
1: so Tinsel used to be what people used to use, silver tinsel, right? But so you'd wrap tinsel around the whole thing, and then you would have, uh, say, a red wire or a copper wire or a black wire, wrapping around seven times to create your ribs. And that still works super, super awesome. Or they'd use a gunmetal flashaboo. But I really like the ASB, especially the pre-cut stuff, because it really does make that counter rib. You know, like oh, you the really, they're really. Yeah. Yeah, the counter rib and the ASB, when it goes over a dark thread, really, really gives it that gassy look oh, like a man. really, you know, you do it right and you get and you get it and you hold up a chronic sample in your hand that, you, you know, from a stomach uh, pump and you look at it and you put it there. You're like, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> right. Know? Okay. And it's, so, and it's, so That's, so that's uh... good.
0: That's yeah. it. Okay. What are your, um, what would be a couple more, uh, top other than the chronomid, what other types of flies would you have in your, your top list for your lakes? Um, you, you want your scuds in the fall, oh, you know, scuds. and scuds. So
1: there you're going to have a curved, uh, you know, like, um, not a curved nymph, but, um, like a scud hook. Yeah. Right? Just a scud
0: hook. Yep. Like what size, what size typically?
1: I like a, a 12 or a 10. Yeah. Right. 12 or 10, okay. You know, and then you're going to have your, um, your scud back, you know, your little stretch, you're going to tie that in, you're going to tie in some dubbing. Um, lately I really like that alpaca dubbing. You know, I think it's vicuña. The is making that dubbing. I mean, any dubbing will really work, but something that has a slightly, I mean, you know, what actually is really good too is seal fur.
0: Oh, seal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause it's got that, uh, what is it? That, what do they call it? Hydrophobic quality to it. You know, it bubbles, right? Right. Um, and you want that bubbles are life, right? So you dub that in, and then pull your scud back over. I mean, it'd be nice, nice if you put a bead on it too, if you want to start doing the the strip game with it, or or hang it under indicator, and then just wrap your wire over it. Take your dubbing brush, brush out all that uh, dubbing, and you know, and then trim it, trim it just past the hook or whatever, and you got yourself uh, fish food and a lot of uh, interior lakes come October,
0: right? So scuds, scuds in October, and then what, what else would you have throughout the the summer for other top? types of patterns
1: so then definitely when you go into the june july you're going to hit your nymphs right and i mean a a great mayfly nymph i really like you know you take some of these comp hooks Togans makes a nice comp 10 hook uh same with hannock and stuff nice barbless hook and they have that little point that kind of points up then you just got i like putting a little partridge tail on it or you can get the uh whitey makes that mayfly tailing feather it's a Coke de Leon tailing feather. That stuff's really good. Take a few uh, fibers of that, tie that in. Um, I've been using uh, turkey quill lately, but you can, you know, anything you want, pheasant tail. Pheasant tail nymphs probably the best, really. Or or, or uh, any type of fur, rabbit fur and stuff like that, make your body. And then put, tie in a little bit of pheasant tail for the uh, wing case, right? Put it about, I don't know, I'd say maybe go good, Third of the way back of the whole hook shank where you tie that in, pull that over, and then put in some dubbing, or you can use uh, partridge legs or whatever you want for legs and have that. There's your mayfly, right? And then do the same for your, uh, in say, tans and olives for your damsels. They can be a little bit bigger. You know, you might want to put that up on a 10 or something like that. And uh, then have a nice marabou tail. Again, Nice olive, um you know, you can use marabou twisting it up like you would like a BMW, put that through, and then have your wing case. And I like using um olive dyed partridge for that, make some great legs, or olive dyed mallard. The mallard's nice because some of these, like the mallard and the alpaca dubbing and the seals for they have that bubble on them on the wing case when you're making your legs and stuff. And those bubbles, those little micro bubbles, that's you know, fish fish see these things bubbling and stuff as they get stripped by and it look they look real, right? It looks like a breathing nymph. I mean, at least in my thinking it does. Uh so you want to have your Mayfly nymphs and your damselfly uh nymphs or larva going uh for your June, July. And then when you go into that July, August, September, I like fishing heavy wet lines like uh, sevens and I'll tie Gomphis, deer hair dragon oh, yeah. right. or a dragon that I've come up with that I'm really loving. And it's just been slaying is a foam underbody with deer hair on top dragon. And I put in these, Semperfly sends me these sweet uh, knotted pheasant tail legs, right? They're pre-knotted, right? I tie those in cause nodding pheasant tail legs. I don't know if you've done it, but I have you know, my big oven mitts just do not do no, well. No, that's, that's, tricky. <laughs> tricky. Yeah, that's tricky stuff. I'm like, if I can buy these or if somebody will make these for me, I will buy them. Yeah, okay. And then, sure. and then a set of foam eyes. And the nice thing about that is you can, if you see it and the wind's hitting the reeds and stuff like that, uh, you can huck those over with intermediate lines or a sink tip line and throw it right where the reeds are and, and pick up trout that way. Or if it's getting hot during the day, you can sink that thing down on a seven and just work it maybe on a six foot leader, four foot leader, work it off the bottom on a slow retrieve, you know, where, you know, fish are cruising. Right. And, and the hook sets on those are awesome. Yeah. Right. It's like right under the boat. You're like, oh my God. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So those are fun. I think Phil was one that showed me that we fished that on one of the lakes up there, up in your area a couple of years ago. So. Well, that gives us a good little little selection of flies. Yeah. So this is good. I think um, well, let's let's uh, take it out of here. We're gonna do our uh, listener shout out segment and then we'll sh- we'll take it out with a couple of random ones for you. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So uh, this listener shout out is uh, out to uh, Chris Gill, and he commented uh, by email. he said, um, kind of summarizing here, He said, I live in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and fly fish saltwater for striped bass, bluefish abacore all sorts of stuff here and martha's been here we've done a couple of episodes there but he said um, he said yeah thanks for doing the wet fly swing podcast but i would sure enjoy some more saltwater content so he's saying basically you know we do everything
1: mm-hmm. but we
0: haven't done as much on the saltwater stuff especially some of those species so i'm going to be focusing on that for chris so chris if you're listening we're going to put that together for you i see you have uh, um, uh, a reference a recommendation here for somebody we're going to do that, And anybody listening now, if you want to get an episode, you can just reach out to me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com. But this listener shout-out is presented by Togans, of course, today. And uh, and so for you, uh, Stanton, I mean, thinking about, you know, Chris talked about saltwater stuff. I mean, are you looking ahead? It seems like now you got salmon going. Are there other types of fishing areas you're wanting to get to and, you know, looking ahead? Or are you pretty good where you're at with everything you have going?
1: I'm really good where I'm at
0: for sure. Like I,
1: I will most likely stay in BC for the rest of my life. But, um, you know, thinking of that saltwater, I've had so many people tell me about it and, and they say things like, listen, once you do it, it's going to ruin your fishery. You'll just want to do this every chance you get. And I'm like, wow, is it really that good? They're like, you have no idea. And then you see the stuff out there, like some of those short reels of these hook sets, you know, and the like, design. You know, like it looks awesome. So, uh, I'm with Chris. I, I, I want to hear that podcast okay. and I want to <laughs> get into it too. Right.
0: Good. Good, 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 good. So that's awesome. Well, I want to just touch uh, in a couple of these random ones. I mean, one of them, I guess not so random because you are, I mean, are you currently the head of guitar? I mean, we talk about that, your music classical background, what now just, you know, kind of high level stuff, but is that what you're doing majority of your time? Yes, so I make my living <laughs> um, teaching classical guitar and
1: uh, guitar ensembles and history classes with the uh, Vancouver Symphony Orchestra School of Music. Um, I do that, I've been doing that since 2013. And before that, I used to work or used to teach at or around Vancouver in the Lower Mainland, taught out at Douglas College, Kwantlen Polytech University, And how that all ended up happening is growing up in Kamloops, I used to play guitar right from a young age, was in a heavy metal band, did a lot of the metal circuit, even some of the stuff around British Columbia, you know, like some of the the local gig scene and got to the point where, you know, I was working at a gas station thinking, okay, where am I going to go with this? I don't want to, you know, keep pumping gas much longer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, uh, and then my aunt said, well, you know, you're pretty good at the guitar. You want to keep playing the guitar because, you know, the band had broken up and stuff like that. And they said, why don't you go down and audition for one of these music schools? So I did that. Couldn't read a single note of music, but I could pretty much play anything out there just by listening to it. Like, you know, remember pre-internet, you would, when you heard something, that was it. You you know, you could only do so much with a cassette, rewinding it and stuff like right. that, right? Or a record and scratch it till it doesn't play anymore. So everybody got a good ear and I had that ear and I had that ability. Uh, so they said to me out in, in CAP where I started, 2000, they said, we'll put you on probation. If you can get your notes together by December, you can continue in the program. You know, you'd passed your audition, you played really well, but, you know, you got to learn your notes. So I learned my notes by de- December, two years was a diploma, four years got the degree. And then I had a choice. I was like, okay, do I put in two more years and get the master's. So I did six years straight of schooling. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And then graduated 2006 and then started teaching professionally from 2007 onward.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and what is, when you think of, um, you know, your classical music, what would somebody, you know, I guess you got classical music and you have all these other instruments. If we wanted to hear a little bit of that, where would you direct? Is there a, a place, a music type, uh, you know, something like how, how do you hear what you do? Uh, the best place would be I'm on YouTube.
1: There's some videos of me playing YouTube. Um, there's my website, I'm um, Right now I'm currently kind of updating it and redoing it. So if somebody went on it right away, they probably wouldn't see anything because it's, it says under construction right now. But, uh, but that's a good spot to hear me. CBC Radio. You can hear me on CBC Radio. That's a Canada Broadcast um, Company, and uh, and also on Facebook. If you put in Stanton C. Jack, uh, Facebook, you'll come across my uh, music page.
0: Oh, good. See so music. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll take a look. And and are you play? Do you play the um, like? What instruments do you play?
1: I play guitar. So right now I'm doing some work with a, a group in in Vancouver called the Arado Ensemble we're doing some stuff for a guitar and voice and some solo works by John Dowland, uh, English Lutonist, uh, arranged for guitar. And then in the spring, I'm doing a concert with, uh, a West Vancouver choir called Roman Cero by, uh, Castanova Tedesco, which is, this is pretty cool. It's a guitar, uh, concerto with choir. So instead of having a string orchestra, the choir's the actual orchestra. And, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, so I'm kind of training at that for the March third concert, and uh, then there's some other guitar and voice and guitar and guitar and harp concerts, which you will be able to see on the website and the uh, and the Facebook page. That's good. All right, nice. man.
0: All right, Stan. Thanks for your time.
1: Yeah. Have a great weekend, Dave. Take care. <laughs>